This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm Ross. You know who you are. Thank you for listening. We're back for a special bonus episode today because I recently heard a conversation that my coworkers Melanie Hester and Jenny Smith had with author Jared Kennedy, and I just had to share it with you. Jared Kennedy is a full-time editor of the Gospel Coalition, and his latest book is Keeping Your Children's Ministry on Mission, Practical Strategies for Discipling the Next Generation. This was part of a series of online events or webinars that Awana hosts on a regular basis with experts like Jared who are committed to resilient child discipleship. Every time we have one of these events, we do that because we think it's going to directly benefit your ministry. If you want to learn more, check out the show notes today where you can sign up for our email list and follow us on social media. Links for those as well as more information about Jared and his book are all available in the show notes of this episode. Thanks for listening. This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast. Welcome, everyone. We're so grateful that you joined us today. My name is Melanie Hester, and I am just honored and privileged to be bringing a really critical conversation to you today. I am joined with two really incredible people I've spent the last couple of minutes talking to, and they've just gone back and forth between their time in children's ministry and the way that God has used them in their churches, and it was honestly inspiring. So you are in for a treat. The first one that I'm joined with today, um, her name is Jenny Smith, and after just spending 20 years serving as a children's minister, Awana was absolutely privileged to be able to have her join the team here and become a curriculum and content developer. We also have Jared Kennedy here with us. Jared Kennedy is a full-time editor for the Gospel Coalition. He is author of Keeping Your Children's Ministry on Mission, Practical Strategies for Discipling the Next Generation. Um, Just spoiler alert, that's kind of what we're talking about today, among a lot of other things. He also also authored the Beginner's Gospel Story Bible. He lives in Louisville, Kentucky with his wife, Megan, and their three daughters. So if you're in Kentucky, this is somebody who knows and speaks your language because he has been in it with you. So let's just dig right in. Jared, you are now the full-time editor for the Gospel Coalition. You have had immense experience, not only with your own daughters, um, discipling them alongside your wife, but also you were the children's pastor at Sojourn Church right there in Louisville for a number of years. Would you tell us, tell us about your experience there and uh, kind of how did that time influence the book that you wrote? Yeah. Well, Melanie, thank you for having me. It's so good to be with you. Um, yeah, I, I served on staff at Sojourn Church here in Louisville for 13 years. Um, when I first came, we were a brand new church plant, just like three or four years old. Our family just started attending and serving in the children's ministry. Um, and I started out serving on a committee um, to pick out the furniture for our very first children's building. And so, um, one of my, um, one of my, uh, professors from a seminary asked me to be a part of that. And, um, so, um, uh, anyway, I was on this committee to pick out the furniture for the children's ministry and, um, served with, with him and a few other people for a couple of years. And then eventually that, um, became a staff, a staff position at the church. And, um, Mm. and so served there for a number of years after that, um, our church grew from a a church plant to be a multi-site church with, uh, 
with five different congregations. And so during that time, uh, most of the time, honestly, we just were trying to figure out what we were doing. And so um, it was growing really rapidly and we were trying to put systems in place to let, do all the things that the children's ministers who are watching this webinar do recruit volunteers, mm-hmm. get them trained and background checked and, and equipped to, to be in classrooms. And I think in the midst of that process, in the midst of that growth, um, Fletcher Lang, who uh, was my first pastoral assistant at, at Sojourn, who's a church planner in Boston, Massachusetts. Now, um, we were sitting in the office one day and said, how do we like actually assess ourselves? How do we, Mm -hmm. how do we answer the question is what we're doing, um, in children's ministry, actually discipling the next generation. And it was, Mm -hmm. um, the two of us, talking with each other, standing in front of a whiteboard and sketching mm-hmm. uh, a lot of things out um, that brought us to those, those questions of uh, what are the most important things we do as a children's ministry? So, you know, you're a growing church. You're like picking out the, the play structure that you're going to install mm-hmm. in the, in the children's ministry. You're thinking about t-shirt colors for VBS. You're, you're, you're thinking about what curriculum you're going to use and those kinds of things. And, and I think the Lord just convicted us that we can worry sometimes so much about that. I honestly, what happened was I got really mad one morning because the floor wasn't mopped um, in the nursery before children's ministry. Um, And I had to confess that to the Lord and, uh, and to some of our coworkers that I was short with. And, um, and I said, my, I'm worrying so much about floors being mopped. Um, what should my focus be on? Um, and so the Lord, Lord just convicted us at hospitality, gospel centered teaching, discipleship, um, and, and mission were really the main things that our, our church children's ministry needed to be oriented around. And so, um, the things I've written have really flowed a lot out of, um, my own sort of wrestlings with myself in the midst of that, um, that ministry. Hmm. Jenny, what was it like that for you? I know that you served the church for 20 years. Like, do you relate with what Jared's saying where like, sometimes it feels like you can be more focused and, and perhaps angered at the tasks that aren't completed when in reality, there's a much bigger picture that we have to keep in mind as we disciple these kids in our churches. Oh, absolutely. You know, the saying is that Sunday's always coming and especially mm-hmm. in children's ministry, it is always coming. And there are always things to do and crayons to figure out and goldfish to find that somebody decided to snack on during the week, right? like, whatever. Yeah. There's so many things that take our focus off of what the main thing is. And even in children's ministry at large, I think we've gotten so focused on finding the fun and finding the relevant and in and all of the outside looking things, all the peripheral things, we've missed the main thing. And that's what I appreciate, Jared, about your book is how it's a great tool for kids ministers to refocus and figure out what is the most important and how do I dig out of the crayons and the goldfish mm-hmm. and, and really focus on those things. Absolutely. You know, okay. So we were all kids once, right? Every single one of anybody who's watching this, you, we were all a kid at one point. And so I would love to go back to like, Jared, as children's ministry leaders, as children's pastors and directors and ministers, like often 
it can be important for us to keep that vision centered on where we're headed, but to connect that to potentially our own discipleship journey. So is there a pivotal moment in your discipleship journey as a kid that just really stands out to you? Yes. I mean, I, I think I remember people and their investment in me. It's the thing that I remember most more than I remember, like certain specific moments, but, um, there's a pastor in South Georgia, um, named Teddy Hardiman, who led this elementary boys group, um, at camp at camp Eunice every summer, you know, little sort of backwoods South Georgia camp. And we would, memorize Bible verses. And, um, I remember him teaching through the, the life of David, um, from second Samuel with us. Um, and just encouraging all of us, just his, like, he, he was one of these guys that just had a really jovial, vibrant presence. And, and that meant so much to me. I just remember learning. I don't even think I memorized a verse that said this, but I remember learning, um, just about sort of the affection of a pastor, um, mm. through watching Mr. Teddy care for mm. us at camp. Mm. Um, there was a little lady named Miss Edwina, uh, Wiley, um, who's, who's much older now. Um, and, uh, in her sixties, probably in her seventies. And, and she was our Bible drill instructor as well. Um, and I memorized a lot of scripture because she made me, um, <laughs> and, uh, I mean, honestly, what I remember most is just like, uh, uh, you know, meeting in that side room off of the fellowship mm. hall and our little Baptist church, uh, like six or seven of us and miss Edwina being there faithfully every week. Um, mm. and a couple of times right before competitions going over to her house with a group of kids on a Saturday to practice all of our verses. Um, and I think so, um, you know, those memories are so important to me because it, uh, what Jenny was saying just a minute ago, it, we kind of think the big attractional programming or the, the big events are what's going to draw people. But when I look back at my own story of faith, um, it's my dad, it's my youth pastor. It's those, those people who were faithful week in and week out who built a relationship with me, who have been most, the most meaningful. Mm. I find it so funny, Jared, that your first memory wasn't the pivotal moment was that I always had a snack. I always had goldfish or a craft to do, right? Like that was the thing that potentially helped you feel safe with that person, but that's not what you remember, right? there's still nostalgia about the little butter cookies that fit on your fingers. <laughs> yeah. And, oh my uh, God. I mean, I mean, because it did make me feel safe. So when yeah. I see those, like, yeah. you know, I, there's that nostalgia about that, but yeah. my first memory, you're right. Are the, yeah. are the people, people who invested in mm -hmm. me. Do you remember was the, was the Kool-Aid blue, green, red, because we had the exact same snack growing up. I'm pretty sure it was red, yeah, so, which would freak Same. out all the moms today. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Like what is all the way down your dress? I don't know. Mom, I did that snack. Oh, Jared, thank you so much for sharing that about yeah. these incredible people. That's something that we have found at Awana that, that, um, just marks the discipleship of a child and the longevity that they follow after Christ is having a loving, caring person who, like you just said, you've got the message 
Angelina, who in the midst of um, going to go and potentially doing whatever Bible competition you're going to do, she brought you into her home and welcomed you there. Right. Mm -hmm. And so all of us, I have people like that. Jenny, I'm sure you have people that you can name that are like that as well. Um, and so I think, man, if, if, if you're watching today, remember that as your influence, you know, mm -hmm. like each one of us have people we can name. Yeah. Someone names you like you are the name of someone. And, and then we also get to, to stand in the same, our kids, like we get to disciple our kids as well. So Jenny, I'm going to over to you real quick as a parent, what does it look like for you to both be a children's pastor and disciple the children that God has brought into your church and also parent the girls that God has given you the privilege and honor of raising? I think that's one of the humbling parts about doing ministry for a long time is your kids mm. go through it. <laughs> so mm -hmm. Jared, you may be able to identify with that too. So I have a 16 year old, a 14 year old and a nine year old. And so doing 20 years of children's ministry, they have all been through my ministry and that some are older mm. than others. And so, you know, I think it is very humbling and you have to be real. Like mm -hmm. I can't just yeah. go to church and preach these things to parents. If you got to do this, you got to do that. If you do this, everything's going to be great man, you've got to be authentic because you're living it. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to see, you know, I told parents this and then I didn't do it with my own kid. And I see the fruit of that, right? Like you, just to be real and authentic, like we've got, that's, that's probably the hardest and most challenging and most, um, sharpening thing that's happened to me is doing both at the same time, like you talked about. And, and, but it's also given a great opportunity again, to be real and authentic with parents, to understand that me painting a picture of you and your family doing a five hour family worship experience every night, like that's not going to happen because <laughs> no kid is going to sit for five minutes, much less five hours. Like, I think it's also helped sculpt, um, what I, how realistic I am with parents as well. Jared, mm -hmm. would you, do you identify with any of that? Yeah. My girls are 17, 15 and 12. So, and definitely in a similar boat to, to what you're in. And I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think, I think, um, when kids see mom or dad in a ministry situation on a regular basis, they want to see that that's consistent with yeah. who you are at home. And there's going to be times when it's not consistent because right. we we're not perfect. <laughs> we are inconsistent yeah. people. And so being able to be honest with your kids and confess your sins to them and yeah. ask for their forgiveness and, um, and be honest about, you know, that was frustrating and it, that happened at church too. And dad didn't handle that the best way. And I need to, I need to revisit that with you as well, I think is a super, super important thing. We started when the girls were very young, making missions an essential part of our family. Like my goal was I wanted them to grow up feeling that missions was normal. So each girl, when they were in kindergarten, we took them, we started taking them on our family mission trip to Belize. And that has just been something mm. that has been just something our family does. And so what I've seen is as my big kids are now big and as they are entering these difficult teenage years and they are making some dumb choices because teenagers do that. But I see that heart. I see that heart for missions and that heart mm. for there's a bigger picture out there than what I'm living and experiencing right now. God is bigger than middle school. God is bigger than this algebra class, right? And so Hallelujah. if you're going right? yeah. to make me name a win, then I would say that, yep. that, that that's something that we started early on as a foundation of our family. And I believe God's given mm -hmm. that. 
That's great. Yeah. So like, let's go to the opposite side of that. What's something that you feel like the Lord has done significant work in you because it was a, an area that there was a weakness of discipleship that, that he's just continued to develop. And this can include both you and your spouse. Cause let's be real. Like for, for a lot of us that are married and discipling kids, we're doing that together. And then for those um, who may not, they are doing that alone. But so what does that look like? Some, an area of weakness. Yeah. I would just say like being present with my kids and, and listening is, is something that I've grown more in over the years. And, uh, we are, and I think whether we choose to be or not, we're a very busy family. Our middle daughter, mm-hmm. uh, Lucy is severely autistic. And so, mm-hmm. um, because of that, our three girls have never been in the same school together. They've mm-hmm. always, we've always been going in different directions, one in high school and one at, either in middle school or elementary below, and then another child in a special needs school. And, and so we always have stuff going on and we're always going to, to different places with all of that. And so being present with one another, carving out the times, um, when we're going to actually sit down, um, maybe talk about family worship or maybe just play Dutch blitz or (laughs) take it a ride, you know, you know, and, and play games together, um, are things we have to be really intentional about. And, uh, part of that's been the nature of my job as a minister and, and now as an editor that travels and does things. And part of that is just the nature of our family. Um, but I think in one sense, that's American society right now. And I, I think, I think all of us could grow in, in slowing down, turning our phones off and being yeah. present. And that's something that, um, my preference would be to play Mario Kart, but, mm-hmm. um, something I have to have to really grow an intentionality in. It's super smash for us for us. That's a my kid wants. He, and he wants, he, right now I can still beat him. Right. But that day is coming swiftly where I will not, but yeah, it's, it's not, like it, it's so easy to realize that it's those moments that you're like, sure, let's just do something with technology that feels bonding. And yet it's breaking outside of that and realizing that like it's more and it needs to be more. And we need to be intentional about choosing. Is it a game where more conversation can happen? Um, because while the moments of um, Mario Kart and Super Smash Bros are important and they're good, they do not allow for the important conversations to happen that help continue that discipleship piece. So what about you, Jenny? I would say just to be real authentic and honest is over the years, we have had the challenge of finding a good rhythm of you know, just sitting down and reading scripture together, having not a five hour family worship, but a five minute, like just trying to find that. Yeah, I did several years as single mom and then we were trying to navigate blended family world and kids go in all different directions here. Like you were talking about, we've got busy kids in different directions and just, it was always a priority and it was always my heart, but really carving out the time, you know, and then we finally figured out on the way to school, I have them trapped in seatbelts. Like we can talk, we can read scripture and talk and have great conversations together. And now our family's in a different season. My six-year-old's driving them to school. So now it's time to, again, reevaluate and figure out how do we fit that in. So that, that's something if I could go back in time, I would do a better job of really establishing mm. that. Mm. Man, I think all of us would have something that we could say, man, I wish I could do this better. And yeah. the beauty that, that God isn't needing us solely mm. to disciple our kids, to draw them to his heart 
just gives me this place of like surrender to God. That's just like, okay, thank you, father, that you use me right. That I have the honor of being able to help disciple these kids, but also you are at work and I'm going to follow that work because otherwise the, the messes that we create in our path and our really beautiful desire for mm-hmm. discipleship could often get more, far more overwhelming if it were fully in our um, place. And it, so, so Jared, uh, there's so much about your book for those of you who have not gotten his book yet. Um, I will say, this is something that you're going to want to get. And just, it's not a, it's not a quick read in the sense that you want to internalize it quickly. It's, it's so practical and easy to understand, but it's something that's going to make you think you're going to want to reopen it again and go back to a specific part. And, and I think that's something that we can use as tools as children's ministry leaders to help us know what are we doing and is it working? Jared, you asked that question way back in the day while you were, you said you were determining what playground structure we were going to install and all at the same time standing at the whiteboard saying is what we're doing working. Um, So this book feels like almost an answer to that question. Is that true? Tell us more, Jared, about, about this book and kind of why you wrote it. Yeah, I think um, there are four big principles that the book teaches. And um, an answer to the question, I think, yes, but not a silver bullet, you know, not sure. not, sure. not the one thing that's going to fix all of those issues. But there were the, the four things that we made a decision we were going to de- evaluate ourselves by. And I, and I think mm-hmm. they're biblical. Um, and I, I think they're practical enough to help us evaluate ourselves well. And the first is... Um, is gospel center hospitality. And so, uh, the word is create, create welcoming Mm -hmm. environments where you can build Mm -hmm. relationships with kids and families. And Mm -hmm. so we wanted to say our, our, we can have a great playground. We can have the rooms painted the right colors. And that's part of Mm -hmm. hospitality, but are we people that, that model the presence, Mm -hmm. um, and the gospel season presence, of Jesus, Mm -hmm. the kind of humility he has, uh, that gets down on a kid's level that learns names and that welcomes kids like Jesus welcomed kids. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's first. Second is, um, gospel centered teaching or, or we say connect is the big word, connect kids to Christ and his church community. Um, so there are a few chapters in the book there about how to craft a lesson that centers on Jesus as, uh, the main character in God's big story. Mm -hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that points to him. Um, the third is uh, grow, grow alongside uh, kids and families by helping them take next steps in their spiritual journeys. And so um, that is our, the idea of our partnership with, with families, uh, connecting church and home, um, both resourcing families, but then training them and equipping them in order that they might disciple their children and thinking about uh, how to engage kids who are who are not from believing homes in the church community and, and connect them with those who would disciple them as well. Um, and then the last is go sending kids and families on mission. Um, and it's really directional in the sense that, um, I, I think we can think of discipleship being our big aim as being the direction the Lord has sent, uh, the church on, Um, but my pastor likes to say, uh, your children aren't meant to be art pieces. They're meant to be arrows, Mm. um, that they're not meant to be designed as here. We're going to make them into perfect disciples so that we can put them on display 
for the world to see. Mm. Um, but they're meant to be arrows who you let go of and send out into the world to, to minister to, to others as well. Mm. And so one thing we wanted to really emphasize, I think, um, uh, I live in a seminary town. I, mm. I, we live in a culture that's very, um, very theological. Um, and we wanted to emphasize to parents right from the beginning that you're not just making these ideal models of yourself. Um, but, but you're shaping men and women who are going to be sent out, um, and, you know, potentially leave our church, but hopefully not leave our savior. And, um, and so that's, um, yeah, that's where, that's where the book aims. And I think we were talking before, uh, Jenny about how that, that really aligns with a lot of things that Awana is doing. It totally does. Your question, Melanie. Yeah. <laughs> um, it totally does. And that's, I love, I was so excited to read your book. Anyway, you are my friend. We've done ministry together for years. I've always been a fan of how God's using you to be gospel centered and to be deep theologically. So I was excited to read it anyway, but as I was reading it on the beach, by the way, as I was reading it, I was just overwhelmed by the connections of what God's been doing in you through this book and what God's doing through Awana and the philosophy yeah. that we've been developing. So our philosophy of ministry and helping build resilient disciples is we call it the three B's, which is belong, which means a highly relational ministry led by loving and caring adults believe, which is a deeply scriptural ministry rooted in God's word and the power of the gospel, and then become a truly experiential ministry designed to help kids move into real world application of faith based living. That lines up so much with what mm -hmm. you just said and with what your book talks about. And so I, as I was reading it, I felt like you provided a whole lot of practical applications that, that aligned with the philosophy that we've been talking about at Awana and specifically beginning with that belong, that highly relational ministry. I love that you talked about some very practical things about welcoming families and knowing their names and knowing kids' names. But you also focus on kind of the back end part of that, of the safety and security that, yep. you know, we want kids to belong, but they've got to belong in a place, not only where they feel safe, but where they really are safe. And so I love, I know that's always been a passion of yours. I, I appreciate that you call that out and make sure that you're helping leaders understand how serious that is and how to, to implement that. And then there's the last thing I'd say about the, the belong part is I love that you focus on. Um, you say value kids as part of the community, right? That we're not just wanting them to belong to a club. We're not just wanting them to come to help grow the church. Like those things are great. But what we really want them to do is to really belong. They are valuable members of the church. And I love that you called that out. Yeah, I, I think it became really a scriptural conviction to me the more I've read the Bible um, that, you know, I'm a Baptist. And so we don't like immediately baptize babies and call them part of the church family. Okay. Some of you watching probably do, but our tradition doesn't mm -hmm. do that. Um, but as I read the epistles, um, Paul keeps addressing children directly, expecting yeah. them to be there when the yeah. scripture is read publicly. Jesus, as he does his ministry, there's kids around them and he's bringing them in close. And when the disciples get haughty and say they shouldn't come, he's like, no, let the children come to me. Yeah. And it just became this deep conviction in me that the Bible expects, whether you're in the gospels, whether you're in the old Testament, whether you're in the gospels, whether you're, you're in the letters um, that kids are going to be around and they, 
we should expect them to be present and belong in the Christian community. And so what are the things then that we can do to make that a part? Um, And I thought about, I thought back to childhood. Um, Actually, I think I tell the story in the book of the deacons in our church grabbing all the elementary boys on, on Sunday night and giving us the offering plate and having us pass the offering plate down the, the pews. But it was little things like that, that taught me from an early age to serve in the church that I belonged there. Just giving me a job to do um, was something that communicated that, uh, that place of belonging. And so that's become as my kids help make coffee or, uh, they passed out donuts on Easter or, you know, pass out the bulletins. Those, those things, um, are increasingly important to me because I want them to own being a part of the community. Yeah. And seeing that work, right. Like having them be at the front lines of watching God move and work in our churches. And, you know, the way that, that children are so unique in their experience when they are raised in the church, right? What it looks like for them to watch that gives them an understanding that can't be duplicated. It doesn't Mm. mean that others who don't get that aren't able to be thriving disciples. That's not true at all. But there is something unique and critical about (laughs) understanding that the children that are in our churches are watching and seeing, and it is shaping their Mm. discipleship in ways that we may never even understand. And that is why like what we do matters. Like what we do is it is the mopping of the floors, right? Like Jared, you know, that if somebody walked, right. Like if somebody walked in with that understanding and your nursery floors were a disaster that that could potentially turn them away. So it is the nursery floors, but it's also more than the nursery floors. It's, it's creating that environment. That's more than just what you see. It's that child watching the baptisms, and then looking up at their parents saying, I want to get baptized. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's those moments yeah. that were like, this is discipleship. This is why we do this. Um, so, so as you have seen this kind of flesh out, you've talked a lot, Jared, about what does it look like to kind of set up this paradigm and really understand um, what it could look like of things we should do in children's ministry. I feel like there has to be this space of asking the question, well, if there's things we should do, are there things we shouldn't do? And I don't know about any of you watching, but that feels like a really uncomfortable and a place to just sit in and potentially a question that's going to take far more time than any of us really have to ask. But I think that you've already asked the question, Jared. So what does it look like to say, what shouldn't we do in children's ministry? Yeah. I mean, I, I think just a few things, um, stand out to me and I'm not going to tell you like a certain check-in system not to buy or something like that. Yeah. That's not going to happen. But I, I think that, uh, a few things stand out to me. One is, uh, we shouldn't have this mentality as children's ministers that, that we're all alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think in the last several years we've had a lot of emphasis within the family ministry movement to tear down silos between ministries Mm -hmm. in churches. Um, but I just want to encourage you, your youth pastor is your partner. Um, your senior pastor is your partner. And, um, and so, and so don't complain about how much they're not involved in what you're doing. 
um, seek to get, have a relationship with them and, and think about how you can relate what you're doing to what they're doing too. Um, and work hard over years of building partnerships and break down those barriers between ministries. So we shouldn't divide from one another. I, I think that would be, that would be one big thing. I think as moms and dads, um, we shouldn't give, so as ministers, we shouldn't give the impression that we're the professionals. Um, moms and dads are partners. And so I think there's a temptation on the part of moms and dads to think, I'm going to take for the sake of soccer. I'm going to take my kid to the soccer coach for the sake of yep. gymnastics. I'm going to take them to the gymnastics coach or for band to the band director. Mm. And for spiritual things, I'm going to take them to the pastor and the children's yep. minister. Um, but we need to lower that bar and invite parents in and really create a, a real partnership uh, with moms and dads. Yeah. Um, then I think for those of us in, uh, um, I don't know. I think some of us can just feel like we have these family ministry ideals that are way up here. Maybe mm -hmm. uh, Jenny's talked about five hour family devotional time. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think sometimes it's the expectation for how, what, how kids should behave when they sit in church and, mm -hmm. and, or like exactly how Sunday morning is going to go. And I think sometimes our ideals, which are good ideals. I mean, gosh, if, everyone was having five hour family worship and the kids were loving it. And it was wonderful. Right. It'd, be, it'd be great. Praise God. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, I, but to move from those really idealistic things down to reality and recognize that sometimes the way we talk about those things can create barriers to the gospel. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we need to not necessarily lower God's standards. In fact, I mean, there's certain things like, um, like, honoring the Sabbath that I, I think I, you know, having a conversation with my daughter about her work schedule at the coffee shop and how we need family time and working those things out has actually like served to strengthen our relationship and help mm -hmm. discipleship. So it's not that we need to water down God's word, but we need to recognize like where people are in their day-to-day -day lives and adjust our ministry to where people are, um, and show them that they're loved by Christ. And then over time, move them toward those ideals. Um, yeah. it's not that we change what say the scriptures teach teaching something different. Um, but our heart needs to move folks toward, toward that. And so I think, um, especially those of us who are more theological and, and are holding our Bibles more yeah. tightly, Sometimes like the Pharisees that can become a barrier uh, mm -hmm. to actually being with Jesus. Yeah. Um, and so we need to either not hold our Bibles more loosely, but hold our hearts open more so that um, folks will come to Christ. And, mm -hmm. um, and then we do that work of teaching and bringing them toward uh, what the scriptures teaches. Yeah. Jared, I really resonated with this story you shared and please correct my memory if it, if it doesn't come off right, but you share a story in this section about kind of tracking children's ministry through the ages. Right. And you talk about how like Luther in his day, one of the things that he did was help to disseminate the idea that all of the teaching needed to, to reside within those that were teaching within the church and it could only exist there. And he really helped to like break that down and bring it to the family. 
right? And to say, no, you as parents can do this. Am I, is this, am I, am I right so far? You have asked about Luther, which means, and Jenny knows this, he's my dead friend. And so (laughs) I can talk, I can talk for hours about Luther, but I'll I'll try to keep it brief. Um, So I, you know, Luther, he was the first like gospel centered preacher in the reformation. And he really believed that the gospel changes you. It transforms every vocation so that, so that everything you do has deep value. I mean, he talked about the dignity of changing his kids' diapers. Like he's my favorite theologian for that reason. And, um, but he really believed if I preach the gospel, moms and dads will be changed by this gospel. And then they will teach their kids and empower them. Um, and then Luther left the city of Wittenberg and went to Saxony uh, the region of Saxony farmland. And, um, and he realized that though the gospel was being preached there, moms and dads weren't changing. And he mm-hmm. saw the need for intentional discipleship. I think Luther cussed. I just, I won't quote that. <laughs> I think it's like, it's like, what is happening? They're like, they're like acting like pagans. They don't know the 10 commandments. Yep. They don't know the Lord's yep. prayer. What is, what's happening? And uh, it was at that point within the Lutheran church that they uh, began to really start, and they still do this today, uh, really supporting institutional schools, um, mm-hmm. saying, I, and he wrote a catechism um, saying, I want to give a curriculum instruction to moms and dads to teach mm-hmm. their, to their kids at home. He wrote it in German. And then because all the schools taught in Latin at that point, he translated into Latin as well so that it would be taught in the school as well so that there would be a partnership between the institutional church Mm. and, Mm. and the home. And he wanted them to, he wanted them to hold hands and, and Mm. partner in that together. And it, in my understanding of Reformation history, I actually think there a lot more transformational work happened uh, because of those institutions that were built and the partnership between church and home, than even just nailing the 95 pieces to the door of the, mm-hmm. the church or the letters that were written against the Pope, those kinds of things. Because what happened in the 1520s and forward is they began to build kind of systems where the institution of the church and the home would partner together to yes. disciple the next generation. And so I've always found that really beautiful and inspiring um, because I have the tendency to do kind of both things, right? Like I, I can, um, I can say it's only the institution. It's not the yeah. transformative power of the message, or I can say the message is enough. We don't need to do anything. And, um, but the truth is we need, uh, we need the transformative power of the gospel, but we need a, a clear strategy for how to implement that in the lives of the next generation as well. I hope that was short enough. No, that was great because Jared, I think what's so important about that story is that anyone who works in children's ministry would say to you today that it feels like we've almost gone back to that, where the focus has gone back to that only those within the institution of the church, really, you were just talking about it, are qualified to be able to disciple my kid. And yet the difference is not that it's coming from the church leaders. All, all of the church leaders that serve kids would say, no, no, no. Like, in fact, we have research that's coming out that that we've partnered with Barna around that, that talks about how, um, almost 60% of people say, yes, they think they're making an influence, but they're not sure. 
there's some question. So, so challenge ministry leaders aren't necessarily the ones who are saying we can only um, be the ones yet. It feels like the families are saying, I've got a coach for this. They, my kid has their mm-hmm. teachers. They've got their piano lessons or insert whatever musical instrument they're learning. And so therefore the children's pastor, director, minister at their church is the spiritual person who's going to coach them into discipleship to Jesus. So speak to those who are asking that question of like, they feel like they've been placed into that space and they almost have to become little mini Luthers in their community that say, Hey, actually we've got to do this differently. It's a both. And it's not a one or the other. Like what, what does that look like for those leaders? Well, I just, I just want to encourage that mom and dad, if you're a believer, you have the Holy spirit mm-hmm. and, yeah. and don't, you know, you, you have the spirit of God living yeah. within you. And so spirit of God himself in you, empowering you to teach your children. And so yeah. I, I think that doesn't mean you don't do research. That doesn't mean you don't go buy a devotional book. That doesn't mean you don't like ask your your pastors and your local church for help, but there should be a confidence that you have because God is with you and he goes with you into that ministry with, with your kids. And so, you know, in that moment, send up that little arrow prayer, God help Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, correct your toddler or like, like wonder in the glory of creation as you're, as you're driving down the road. And, um, I, I think, I think that's really important to know. I think that's what Luther would say too. If you have the gospel yeah. and you have God's word, you have the Holy spirit, you have, you have enough, you have everything you need for life and godliness. And so I, I just want moms and dads to feel empowered to do yeah. that. Um, and, and I think as, I don't know, we feel like we need to be platform people, right? We're on a webinar. Um, but, uh, <laughs> That's good call. I just think like, I, I think, I think the temptation for a pastor and a church leader is to try to make it about you and to encourage people to come to you for everything. Um, and I just would encourage you to, to speak that word of assuring them that they've got it yeah. again and again um, teach them how, like teach them, teach them the word, give them good resources, point them to good resources. Um, but a lot of moms and dads just need encouragement. Um, they just, they just need someone to say, you got this you have the Holy spirit go and, and love your kids. Well, and, um, and if you need us, we're here. Like, and in fact, We'll be here at small group. We'll be here at a one-on-Wednesday night. We'll be here yep. at Sunday yep. school. You know, like we're, we're going to be, we're going to be here for you. Um, but you have the spirit and you have the word and you have the gospel. And so go, go speak. And so I, I think that tendency of trying to like put ourselves in an expert place you know, yeah. that I was talking about a while ago is the, is the thing that I would really want to break down. Um, yeah. and yeah. Did that answer your question? Mary? Yeah, it does. You know, it reminds me of, um, stories that we hear from, uh, just churches that run Awana all over the world say that often children start coming to Awana first and then the family follows after. 
right? And so it's a it's a way to connect um, these families. And and what they then have found is that as the family then gets engaged and whether they reconnect in their relationship with God or whether that's their first experience with a relationship with Jesus, uh, that family, no matter how new they are to the faith, is qualified to disciple their children, mm-hmm. right? And so if what that means is like that family is then learning alongside each other, that's still the same important level of discipleship as someone who uh, feels like they might have all the head knowledge to teach their children, but don't necessarily know how to uh, put it together, right? Th- those two mm-hmm. are the same and should be empowered at the same rate, even if it means they learn together, because that's reality of what it looks like. And I think both of you would agree as you've discipled your kids, you've learned alongside them, especially mm-hmm things that the Holy Spirit reveals that no school, um, even no church, no seminary could teach us because it took that moment with our children powered by the, the Holy Spirit to bring us to a place of understanding and knowing and loving Jesus in a way we couldn't have. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I feel like we could keep talking about this for, for probably another hour, because this is the key of where all of our hearts are right now mm-hmm. in a culture that feels like, um, it's very different than what the three of us grew up in, in various ways. And it's something that we're having to learn how to navigate raising not only our own children, but also the children that God has given us influence over outside of our immediate family. Um, those watching, this is the same. It's like, we have so many questions. We have so little answers. And so I would go in the same words as Jared would say, like, uh, I encourage you to feel like God is giving you exactly what you need to be empowered, to sit in who God has very uniquely designed in you, how he reflects his image in your life and the way that he uses that and the grander story that he has created and bringing his kingdom here on earth. And so if you have not been able, if you have not in the time that we've chatted, gone on to your favorite retailer to order Jared's book, you should take a second and do that and start digging into those chapters. Um, and then also know that if you want to continue digging into these questions. This is why we at Awana have created the Child Discipleship Forum. It's a place for us to gather as children's ministry leaders to say, I have more questions than answers. And I think you do too. What's next? What do I do? And is there help out there for me? So if that's something that's interesting, that is interesting to you, would you join us? We would love to have you there in September in Nashville. If the trip is something that you can't make alone, then we also have a digital ticket that you and your team could connect and sit with together and experience that and ask questions. Um, but, but the thing that I would encourage you not to do is just let this conversation go by as something that you just check and say, wow, that was great. I'm really glad I listened to that. Like take action, choose something today that will help you keep your children's ministry on mission because God is with you. I love that encouragement, Jared. God is with you and he is going to continue to be with you as you walk this journey. So Jenny and Jared, thank you so much for this conversation. This will not be the last. Jared, it has been just an honor to hear from you and to just hear just the unique way that God has given you a voice and what that looks like in his great plan. So thank you for reflecting him in a great way today, Jared. It was great to be with you. Thanks, Melanie. Thanks for having me. 
The Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient child disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith. Young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org donate. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode. And check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from the conversation as well as information about other podcasts from Awana. The podcast is mixed, edited, and produced by me, Marlon Washington, and hosted by Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from the album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.